Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. And we are back on the eve of a pretty big trip to Arizona uh, for our basketball team. But before we get into that, let's quickly talk about what happened last week. It was uh, it was kind of ugly for parts of it, but we kept on winning. And at the end of the day, that's that's what's important. I believe it's the nation's longest win streak right now, right? Uh, 13 games. For for a... Uh... Yeah, for like a Power 5 major conference, yeah. For a Power 5 wins. major conference, so 13 wins is no joke in college basketball. Um, you know, they're not always going to be pretty, and uh, we've won some games in blowouts, we've won some games in tough fights, we've won games where we're not shooting well, games where we're shooting well but not playing good deep. So we've won, won them all different ways. Um, winning, that's the most important thing. Uh, these two games were very interesting uh, in, in many ways. They were... Similar in some ways and very different in others. Yeah, let's let's start with the Utah game. First off, let's before we even jump to that game, we can underline or underscore however you want. Brendan Carlson did not play in this game for Utah. He is their best player. I will I will make that very clear because there was some noise around how UCLA would have lost even if if Carlson had played. I will say this right now, though, based on what I saw in that game. Even if Carlson had played the way we played defense in that game, we beat them still. Flat out. So let's go back to what we said uh, last week uh, when we watched the USC game. Uh, And it's our basic postulate, right? If UCLA wins the rebounding battle, and especially by a big margin, then just go home. Just pack up the bus, go home, try against next time. Uh, and in this game, UCLA won the rebounding battle by 14, and when Brendan Carlson went out, uh, that was probably their last remaining path to any sort of victory or being competitive in this game. Um, but if you're if they were going to lose the rebounding battle by that much uh, against this team, it's, it's not going to go well, and that's basically what happened. It didn't go well from there. Um, UCLA in this game in the first half, uh, it, it, it was a little miserable there. Uh, especially for the first 10 minutes. I think we scored like five points in the first 10 minutes or some some number like that. Um, and then from there it picked up and it got better. Tiger Campbell, I thought, had one of his better games of the year. Uh, j- just from shooting, scoring, all that. And then we get to the next game, uh, which was uh, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, and and there's kind of a running theme here, though, is is when we can't shoot or we're going through offensive lulls one thing that is becoming consistent and I think this is a really good thing to be consistent at is the defensive uh intensity the defensive ability has not been waning with this team and I think that is an elite quality to have when your shots aren't dropping if we can keep defending it will keep us in almost every single game and that is exactly what happened with Colorado. I mean, we could not buy a bucket for large, 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 large parts of that game. And some of that was due to Colorado playing good defense. Colorado, you know, I think is under-talented probably this year. But Tad Boyle is a very good coach. Let's not uh, undermine how good of a coach Tad Boyle is. And he has that team playing at a, at a pretty high level right now. 
you know, Tad Boyle teams generally play good defense, and they played great defense against us, and they were they were making their their shots in important times, and we could not make a bucket for for half that game. I mean, we were like 0 for 14 from three at one point. We could not shoot. Yeah. Yet we won by double digits. Yeah, I mean, let's let's call it for what it is. Uh, I think there are multiple players just going through some kind of slump right now. Um, just a, a shooting slump. Sing- Dave Singleton's definitely going through some kind of shooting slump. I don't think we ever see him miss as many open threes as he missed against Colorado. Um, so there's something going on there. Tiger Campbell had a pretty miserable game against Colorado. Uh, that that mid-range game, just it, it wasn't working. The floater game wasn't working. He missed a lay- like a wide-open layup in transition. That was really surprising. Um, so that was that was a, a weird game for him, and, and we know that he's been going a little up and down there. Um, and again, like we go back to what we said before, how do you remain competitive against UCLA if you are not shooting well and they are not shooting well? The only way, again, because you know UCLA doesn't turn the ball over, and we were turning Colorado over up, down, and sideways. Uh, they finished the game with 23 turnovers. Um, they, they, they had a lot of them. So the only way they could really remain competitive, and not just that, that, but take a lead, was through offensive rebounding. And they did that in the first half. I think they had 11 offensive rebounds in the first half. They finished with 14, though. Um, and so the first half, that's where that happened. And then the first you know, 10 minutes of the second half, I think that's where UCLA just couldn't buy a bucket. They got frustrated. You saw a stretch over there where, you know, Hawkes missed a couple of, like, bunny putbacks. Another couple other players missed some putbacks. And then we started fouling him at the other end. This is what Mick talked about in the postgame. Uh, so many missed shots. Gets guys frustrated. Gets some fouling and gets the other team an even bigger lead. And then Adem Bona came back in the game. And he didn't play a whole lot because of, you know, Mick's, you know, two-foul rule, right? If you get two fouls, you sit the rest of the first half and you don't play for a lot of, a lot of the beginning of the second half if you pick up one more foul. And he came in at, I think, I want to say around, like, just after 10 minutes at some point. And his energy, his effort, it, it just changed the game. It, it changed the game. Um, you know, he blocked shots. He was getting rebounds. He was finishing. He was scoring points. And of all the things that have been happening with, you know, the, the team, offense, defense, all of it, uh, close games, weird stuff, Adem Bona's improvement has been consistent now over many games. Um, he's gotten a lot of you know big impactful moments now in many games in a row. I think that is very encouraging. And this game it also kind of worried me a bit in the sense that you know we needed him to come in and like light the spark. It seems like when we have a Dem Bona in the game and he's at his best, that's when the whole machine kind of turns around the whole the whole the, the wheel starts to, to spin real fast because Mick Cronin team it seems like their offense it works the best when you have a postman you can feed into and he can pass out of it or go one-on-one um, which is why I think that you know even last year when fans were calling for hey Miles Johnson should play over Cody Riley you know whatever you want to think about that situation I think the reason was because Mick did the thought that Cody Riley opened up the offense much more than Miles Johnson ever could. And Miles Johnson didn't do enough on the other end to, to maybe justify it. And it's similar to that. So when he's in and he's on, everything kind of opens up. But it's kind of scary because we're depending now on a freshman who's just kind of coming into into his own. 
to be at that level, you know, consistently, which he, he, he even isn't that within game. So I think there's two sides of the coin there, but Bona's definitely been a, a huge positive. I mean, you're, you're right. He has been an absolute positive. Every game, I think, over the last couple of weeks, he's shown improvement. In this game, what struck me, he was uh, he was rebounding the ball like a man possessed. He was actually going after every rebound. He was gobbling them up. Um, and, and I think, you know, aside from the X's and O's reasons that he kind of helps this team and opens up a, a lot of the defensive ability and, and a lot of the offense, I think his energy is just infectious. It's contagious. When it, when he's on the court, he he really gives all the other guys a lift. I mean, when you saw him on the court and he was, uh, in that last 10 minutes, he was hyped. He was he was calling for the ball. He was, you know, he, he was ready to step up for that challenge and do whatever he needed to. I mean, he was diving for the ball. He took some, and this is actually kind of a scary thing, he took some big falls, and he's a big man uh, to be, you know, flying up to try to block shots and, and, you know, taking those big falls. But he he just bounced right back up and just keep going ham. Uh, like, there was no, it was, it was a marvel to watch just how he went from kind of, again, a little bit Jekyll and Hyde where he was very quiet for most of the game and then just... I don't know, the light switch turned on, and he went absolutely bonkers. And we need him to do that now more consistently, uh, not just for parts of the game, but for, you know, a whole For the entirety of the game, it, right? If Bono plays like that for the entirety of the time he's in a game, no one's going to beat us. Like, no one's going to beat us. He's, he's, he, he has the ability to be dominant in many ways. And and he he's showing glimpses of that now. Yeah, I mean, this version of a Dembona, there's a great chance that UCL is undefeated right now. Because remember, in, in Vegas, we, we essentially played four on five. We played without a center. Um, I think in the game against uh, against Illinois, we couldn't guard their big man, for one. Um, and for, for another, I think between Bona and Nwubo, we got, like, one rebound. So, like... That alone is a huge positive, and it's fixing a deficiency in this, in this team that was probably the biggest glaring hole that we had. Now, it again, I, I go back to this: these slumps that we're in um, against SC, against you know, initially against Utah, and now this this game, the second half especially against Colorado. When Bona's on, it seems to turn everything else on because of the infectiousness and the X's nose, just like you just said. You know, I think this is where after this week, because we're about to enter a really important stretch here, and we kind of just need to do whatever we need to do to win these games here. But after that week, I would challenge Mick. He's got to learn how to play with two fouls. What about that second round game when, you know, we need we need a solid four minute stretch to stay in the game? What about that Sweet 16 game where we need to, you know, get keep the game within reach in the second half? And Bona's got two or three fouls. Like he's got to learn to play through that. So I think that's the stuff that um, is kind of the next step for him, along with being more consistent in game. You know, how do you play with fouls? And Mick's got to let him learn that because, you know, when he's out, the drop is pretty considerable right now between him to Ken Nuba. And and I do expect 
you know, as the season wears on and as Mac comes back a little healthier, that he takes some of Nuba's minutes. He's you can tell New, uh, um, Mac is not not playing and moving well. But when he's in the game, I I think there's an argument to be made that he is a little he, the the upside is higher than than Kenny. I think that's that's pretty obvious. I think Kenny is just healthy. He is a little better right now in moving, and that helps him defend the pick and roll. and And he is a high energy guy, so there's some value there. But talent wise, I think getting Etienne, and I feel like I've been saying this every time, but get, taking some of those minutes from Kenny and giving those to Mac will be helpful in hopefully uh, taking some of the onus off off. Adem, but Adem needs to be playing the way he has been consistently for a full 40 minutes. Uh, and yeah, as you said, he needs to be able to, one, not pick up those fouls, and two, when he does have them, like, no, be smart enough not to pick up that third or fourth. And I think Mick needs to trust him to do that. And he's a he's a high basketball IQ, smart kid. Like, I think that's that's been pretty obvious, and I, I think if Mick can trust him to do that, he, he will hopefully be up to the challenge. I want to shout out Jaime Hawkes in this game, I think. He Ooh. was obviously very key to this game. I mean, he was the only guy who could get a bucket for large parts of the game, because no one else could. But aside from, from being able to actually score, he was very, very, very active on the boards. He picked up 13 rebounds. And a lot of those were offensive rebounds and, and keep, you know, with in key parts of the game where we had misses, you know, open jumpers that we normally would hit. He was so always kind of there in position to get that second chance ball. And he, I think, was instrumental in, in creating those extra possessions throughout the game that helped UCLA end up winning by 14 points at the end of this game. Um, he, he put up All-American numbers. That, he did everything. That was leadership out there. Uh, I mean, that that was true leadership. And and, and Hawkes, the last game, last couple games, he, the second half of SC really struggled. Um, the game against Utah also, I, I don't think it was his best offensive game either. But this one, um, you know, that was leadership out there. And, and even in the games you know, before when he was struggling, you know, I think he's made a renewed commitment, and I think this is great, um, to defending, rebounding, and blocking shots and making sure he's effective on that end to set the tone for everyone else because no matter how infectious Bona is or how whatever else you know Jalen Clark does, he's our senior leader, and if he can do it, everyone else can. Um, so you know, I thought that was, that was some real leadership from him. Uh, five blocks, four steals in a game where we needed every one of those turnovers uh, to, to kind of stay in the game and then pull away eventually at the end. So that was real leadership. Um, and if if you look at his rebounding numbers, he had more offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds in this game, which is telling you a lot of his will and determination to get us the ball back when we needed it most. Some concerns now coming out of this game. Um, we talked about the shooting slump of Dave and Tiger a little bit in this one especially. I'm going to throw one more at you. Uh, zero bench points in this game. Um Yep. You know, yet again, that's that's something that's rearing its head. I think against SC, we had five bench points. In the Utah game, I think we had like 10 or 11. So, uh, 
yeah, that's that's definitely something to keep to keep watching because, you know, getting zero bench points is probably not going to be enough, especially in these games uh, coming up here. Well, not even that they they didn't score, but no one really shot the ball coming off the bench. If you look at the stats, Dylan Andrews is the only guy who attempted a shot. He attempted two. Everybody else did not attempt a single shot. Um, and that is it's it's kind of bizarre. I mean, it's it's hard to look at this game and really take a lot from it in that sense where you know there was just a lot of weird fluky shooting things happening with our team in this game I think law of averages will hopefully even out a little bit and bring us back to to um, our normal kind of shooting night in the next week or so is what I'm hoping for fingers crossed but it is a concern and and we also again Bench didn't play a whole lot of minutes. I think if you look at the, the numbers, Dylan Andrews played 10 minutes, Kenny Nuba played 9 minutes, and everybody else was 4 minutes or under. So these guys were not playing. Even Will McClendon, who has been a guy that Mick has trusted, did not did not play much. Um, and so, again, I don't know if Mick is just not trusting them, what it is, but the bench rotation has just been so tight still, um, despite what Mick is saying. And we see a flash of these guys coming in, and they they bring some energy, but they're not scoring, obviously, and, and it's a concern. I think we need a little bit more contribution on that end. I think they all come in and play hard on defense, but we, we can't see the offense... Um, take this much of a dip when they come in. But again, nobody was scoring in this game, so is it really you know really on the bench here? I don't I don't know. Hard to hard to say for me. But we we do need to see these guys play more consistently. I think the points will come too if they play a little bit more consistently. I know there's like reports around McClendon in practice who can sh- apparently shoot it from three at a very high clip. Again, I haven't seen it in the game, but that's that's the word. So, like, we've seen flashes from Dylan Andrews. He can score. Sanka, we've seen score, you know, and, and has a pretty clean stroke from three. So we, we know these guys can score when, they, when they're on. We just I, – I do think part of it is just getting them in the game to be more, a little bit more consistent and getting them those minutes. So – uh, they get that game action and feel more comfortable when they're in. Yeah. But remains to be seen. Yeah. Like you said, uh, in any press conference, if this comes up, Mick is always saying, I got to get my bench in more. I got to get these guys minutes. And then these tight games come, and usually this is the result um, of, of, of minutes allocations. Now, this was a tight game. I'll say one positive out of this is I don't think we seemed as gassed at the end of the game in this one as we did maybe in previous games. Um is that a result of conditioning improving throughout the season? I don't know, um, but that's that that that's a good sign. With that said, you know, we should be playing our bench more for the sheer standpoint that we have depth that others don't, and we should be using it now. Dylan Andrews, McClendon, when you're in Sanka, Jalen Clark. If you get an open shot, you gotta shoot. Um, and, and Dylan Andrews, I think, was doing that and, and now has finally shown some signs that he can make some shots out there and it's paying off. Will McClendon, same thing. If you got a shot, shoot the ball because 
he wouldn't. I don't think he'd be playing the, the, as much as he's playing if he was incapable of shooting. I, I just, I just don't buy that. So, whatever you got to do to get yourself out of this funk of like shooting inside in games, do it. Shoot your shots now. In ten games, if you're still not making anything and throwing air balls up there, then 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 we'll talk then. But for now, I think we, everyone's got to shoot because our offense is a little different this year. This isn't quite the offense of, you know, maybe a year ago where we had two three guys that could go up and and get their own shot when we're struggling on offense. I think in the end, the the, the percentages are going to favor this team, right? I mean, we're before last game we were leading the Pac-12 in three point percentage. Uh, I think we have. We're, we're on pace for more three-point makes than last year. So the numbers are going to favor this team. But we're going to have a lot of moments, though, where guys just can't make anything. Just because just cause the style of team we have. I mean, there are, besides Singleton and, and usually Tiger, they're, they're streaky, streakier shooters. So you're going to have stretches where you can't make anything, which is why we need everyone to pitch in there and just don't be scared to shoot. Take your shots when you get them because – Eventually, as the team gets better, uh, they should be able to get more open shots. Yeah, and again, this was a weird game from a shooting perspective, and it got in our guys' heads. You could see them on the court. There were They had good looks, and a lot of guys turned down shots because I think they, again, it was a mental game to some extent, and they didn't feel comfortable taking those shots because they had missed so many. It, there was just a weird lid on the on the the basket in this game and it went from three-point shooting all the way to free throws I mean we shot nearly six percent underneath our season average this this game we 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 just couldn't make a free throw now I would this is the one bright spot about free throws I'll I'll put out there Adem Bona made his free throws down the stretch in clutch moments as a freshman big that is incredibly valuable uh, to and really great to see that that clutch shooting from the the charity stripe there. You know what's really funny? Uh, I was impressed with his poise there. You know what's really funny? This was actually the game that convinced me. I don't think Adembona is going to be here next year. Um, do you remember that that point in the game where he had a, like a, an open wide open shot from the elbow, like towards the free throw line? He took the shot, kind of clanked off of there, right? Um, mm-hmm. but he, he, he sh- I do remember. I remember seeing that. He shot that shot, and then he went to the free throw line, and you can tell like it's there. There are worse free throw strokes out there in college basketball. It's a, it's a decent stroke to start from, and then it hit me like a ton of bricks. That's his future in the NBA, it, being a pick and popper from around the free throw line, as well as having the back to the basket and, and low post game, as well as being the energy energy guy with that can block shots and get get rebounds that's his future in the nba right there if he can eventually learn to shoot from about free throw range now he's obviously that's not where he is now but that's it doesn't seem like it's completely broken he could probably learn that over time and that's probably what his future is which is which is why you know uh now that that's what i always struggle with the, with the dembona like what is his role in the nba as a six nine guy um who can't shoot fr- from three but then, you know, maybe he doesn't have to shoot from three. If he can just shoot from, from around that area, uh, I think that's his role, uh, which is why uh, hopefully he can get better and help us this year. Yeah, his stroke isn't broken. It's, it's you know, a little uh, clanky looking and a little funky, but he shoots uh, like 
nearly 70%. I think he's shooting like 67% from the free throw line. So he's not shooting too poorly from there. Uh, he, I, and I, I think there's, there's um, room to be worked there to, to actually make him a decent you know, shooter. Um, and, and it looks like he's, he's willing to take the shot when he has it available to him. And if he can start hitting those, like we could have a, uh, Cody Riley light on, on our hands from, from the elbow, which would be nice. Yeah. Uh, that would, that would really add a different element to his game. But I, I think you're right. That, that feels like his, his future. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see that at UCLA, but, uh, no, that, that, no, that's no, probably no. his future. That's probably his future. Uh, the guy who's not back yet, uh, the other freshman, Amari Bailey, um, when he gets back, you could see this defense getting to another level even when he's back. Because right now, you know, Dave's huffing and puffing and trying his best out there. But, you know, you can tell that this isn't his natural game. And you wonder if it's affecting his shooting out there as well. Yeah, I mean, Dave Singleton has been the perfect sixth man. He comes in with a lot of energy. He plays defense and plays hard on defense. But he is not the natural athlete that Amari Bailey is, and the the defense obviously is a little bit tougher for him. And and you're right. I think it it probably takes a little bit of the wind out of his sails to get a shot up. And and that being said, like I nine out of ten games, like I don't think he shoots like this, <laughs> like that poorly. But nope. I do think it, it is probably impacting his his offense and and getting Bailey back takes this defense to the to the next level. We've been saying this. But you have the athleticism of Jalen Clark on the perimeter, but then you throw in Bailey's athleticism there, um, and it just it unlocks so much more. By the way, one thing I and I know we keep talking about Bona, but this is just how impressive he's been. If he gets switched on a guard, it's not a, a as big of a mismatch as one might think. It's it, he it, he has held his own several times against smaller, quicker, faster guys. In college, it's probably not going to be a mismatch. And, and and probably even at the next level, as he as he gets better and learns to move his feet better and such, he has probably has the ability to guard um, you know, most positions at, even at the next level, unless you're talking about, say, like a John Morant type of, of quickness out there. Uh, sure, but no one can guard him. Like right exactly so like at this level uh he's the perfect big for 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 mick cronin in the sense that he can switch all positions and you don't got to worry about him you got you don't got to protect him the worry is actually when he switches off and then tigers guard the center like that's the actual worry rather than a dembona yeah he he um moves his feet incredibly well for a big guy and I mean, I he locked up some smaller guys a few times over the last couple of weeks where you watch him switch, get switched to a smaller guy, and you're like, oh, no, he's going to get you know blown by or beat here. But he does not give that up very easily, and he can hedge out, and, and he, he looks perfectly competent from that perspective. It's been actually very impressive to see him do that. Um, but again... You add Bailey back into the mix of this defense, and you know he really does elevate it and, and opens up that next gear. And and he also adds that guy that can actually create his own shot. I we know he hasn't been shooting it super well when he was playing, but he had a few 
offensive burst, but you can see he is a guy who can go in and create that shot. And I think segueing into this week, into this Arizona week uh, on the road, we absolutely need him back to be able to do all of those things for us. Um, this is a pretty critical stretch of the season now. If you look at the Pac-12 standings, UCLA is 7-0 and at the top of the, the conference still by themselves, undefeated in conference, and right behind them is surprisingly ASU at 6-1. and Not Arizona, ASU, who we play on Thursday. And in many ways, that game on Thursday has weirdly become more important than that game on Saturday. From a conference perspective, at least. These next three games are, in many ways, the games that are going to set the tone for the rest of the season, for, for the rest of the of conference season. Um, and, and I'll remind a lot of Bruin fans that a year ago, we were actually at in this exact same position. We were 16-2, and we were going on the road to... we just come off a big win against Arizona at the time, but we were going on the road for the, for the desert trip and to go to, to play SC away. And that was the point in the year when we lost all three and it went from, hey, can we fight for the one seed or, or at worst get a two? And then all of a sudden we were in, at the four line just trying to hang on for our lives and at best getting a three. That was the stretch that kind of took it off. Now, there's other context there, right? ASU was real bad last year. Um, that ended up being a really bad loss for us. And that's kind of why the, the consequences were as dire last year. Um, but in many ways, like... This is three essentially quad one games coming up now. Um, it's huge for conference standings. It's huge for seeding. Um, and for UCLA, it's a chance to really, again, improve that resume and, and solidify their spot in conference. After these next three games, like I'm, I'm all for experimenting, getting things ready. You might lose a couple here and there, but these three, I think, really just set the tone for everything that can happen afterwards. Yeah, it all starts in Tempe, um, which weird stuff happens in Tempe. I don't like playing in Tempe, but, um, you know, we we have another Bobby Hurley team here, and, you know, they're feisty, and they are kind of hitting a, a gear that I, I don't know if anybody was expecting of ASU this year, but... You know, they have some guys who can play. They have Marcus Bagley, who's been there for a while. And you, you look at this guy, he's been... I feel like he's been there for, like, 30 years. Um, Pretty much. But, you know, you, you have you have some talent there. DJ Horn has been, you know, a, a leader from the guard spot. And it's just, they, they play defense, and it's... ASU's always a tough place to play. I don't... I. I don't even want to comment on this game because it scares me and it's it weird stuff happens in Tempe. Yeah, both of these games this weekend are interesting matchups, but in different ways. Um, Arizona State. So first off, right now I think they're proje- they're projected inside the tournament field by by most uh, projections. They're they're in the field right now. They're fifteen. I think they're fifteen and three. Is that right? Yeah, they're fifteen and three. Yeah. Um, now they're an interesting matchup because you know, according to Ken Palm, their half court defense and particularly two point defense uh, is is up there to around you know ten or eleven in the country. 
UCLA, I think, really relies on, you know, half-court offense and, you know, two-point shots. We don't shoot a ton of threes uh, in general. So I think that's an interesting matchup uh, if, when, when we're talking about Arizona State. And then Arizona, I think that one's a, a little different in that that's the best rebounding team uh, in the conference and one of the best rebounding teams in the country, um, along with being a very potent offensive team. So two very different, you know, reasons why they're interesting matchups. Arizona State, by the way, is also not a shabby rebounding team at all. Um, you know, right next to Utah for second in the league. They're right now third, um, but but just just right there for you know second and third third in the league um, for and, rebounds. And they have a legit seven f- uh, footer in Warren Washington. Yeah, so uh, so it'll be an interesting matchup. So very interesting, just in terms of the styles. Arizona State, I'm with you. Uh, it's it's huge for for conference standings. I think it's also just huge to just start off this this three game stretch that we're talking about. I mean. Going out and and dropping the first one of those, uh, that that put a whole lot of pressure now on on the game in, in, at McHale uh, and at Galen. So, you know, I think for all those reasons, it's it's a big game. For UCLA, I think you got to remember what who you are and what your formula is. Um, the identity is defense. It's about defense. It's about taking care of the ball and not turning it over, which is going to be really important this weekend in, in two very tough places against two desperate teams who are, for, for different reasons, going to really be wanting a big win uh, this weekend. Um, so defense, taking care of the ball, and then holding your own on the glass. Like you said, I think we just got to hope that, you know, we got all the misses out of us. It's out of our system because – there are a lot of shots that we usually hit that at some point they got to go. You, you, you would hope they got to go. And, but even if they're not going, you, for, for UCLA, the key is to stick to who you are here because, for one, that's the game you're best at. But for another, you don't need to do something else. Um, if you stick to your game and play, do what you do best, let's see if these teams can beat us, right? I mean, that, that's, that's, I think, the key. But you got to do what you do really well. Um, you know, if if we're not shooting well and we start fouling a lot or we start turning the ball over, that's when I think we're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, just looking at ASU right start starting, we we can talk about Arizona in a second. But you have the two Cambridges. You know, both transfers. One came in from Auburn. One came in from Nevada. I think those guys from the guard spot are going to be a handful for us. Um, you know, DJ Horn also is going to be a handful for us. I know Marcus Bagley's kind of coming back from in, from injury, I believe, but you know he's for some reason always has given us fits. But I think Washington is is going to be a tough matchup. He's again a big guy. He can rebound the ball, and we we need Bona to keep growing up, keep playing those tough um, tough games, and and just battling for boards and. We just we we gotta lock in on defense. I, I shots going in or not, again on the road, it's always tougher. One thing that we can always trust in though is defense. And if if you remember last year's game against ASU, again, like you mentioned, they were not a very good team. That was an arena we couldn't shoot in last year. We couldn't get those those buckets to fall, and we didn't play defense at a consistent level, and we ultimately lost the game. So. I think this team has proven that they can still manage to lock in on defense when they're not scoring, but we need to do this now on the road, which becomes a tougher task. 
Then we go to Arizona. <laughs> I know Arizona stumbled a few times, and from a conference race perspective, you know that game somehow doesn't feel as important from that that um, uh, perspective. But it's still Arizona. They are the fucking worst. I do not like them. I think most UCLA fans do not like them. Um, you know, beating them in McHale Center is always sweet. It's a tough place, probably one of the toughest places to play in the country. And big rivalry game, they're going to be up for it. I think that game is more important to them in many ways now than it is for us because they have a legitimate top five team coming in that they need to beat to build their resume because they've lost a couple of bad games now. And so I think from a just broader perspective from UCLA program, history, recruiting, pride, whatever you will for a rivalry, bragging rights, uh, it is still a, a highly, highly important game. Um, and again, they have some size mismatches on us in Balo into Bellas that can give us trouble. And it's the same thing. We're not shooting well in McHale. We just need to keep defending our asses off and make sure that those guys miss shots um, and just frustrate them because that will always give us a chance to win. Yeah, for all the reasons you mentioned, I'm not convinced that Arizona State is the you know surefire bigger game. I think they're actually both equally as big, only for this reason. For Arizona, I, I think they're playing kind of a reverse schedule to us. They have the one really bad loss at home, um, and that's to Washington State. That, that I think, is the really unforgivable loss they have, which has really turned this into a, a break-of-serve opportunity. The other two games, at Utah and at Oregon, we still got to go there and play. Um, so, so that's still to be seen if we can win those two games on the road. However, I think what Arizona can't survive this weekend is a loss. I don't think they can lose either game this weekend. They definitely can't lose to UCLA. I think that buries them this weekend. Um, and because of that, they're going to be desperate. Um, you, you know, they're going to be desperate. Mikhail's always popping when you, when UCLA comes into town. Um, and, and you would expect that UCLA is going to be up for it too. It's a rivalry game. Um, it's, it's the, the big game in the West usually. So it's going to be interesting. Like you said, they got, Two big mismatches, Balo and Tubelas. I think this is going to be a huge... T- the whole weekend, I think, is going to be a huge test for Dembona. Because while he's improved, I don't think he's gone against bigs like this um, just yet. Bigs who can play him straight up. I think Colorado, you know, they got him into foul trouble a little bit early on. But then even later, I'm not sure that those are the kind of bigs that can give him trouble. But these ones, they're going to play him straight up. Especially Balo. Uh, they're not going to be much help coming his way. He's going to have to play him straight up, and let's see what he can do. Um, so th- this will be very interesting from that standpoint because of the rebounding. Arizona's a fantastic rebounding team. But then also for UCLA, if we're in a shooting slump, you know, can we rely on a Dembona in a game like this against that center to get us out of it and get, get the energy going? Um, that, that'll be, I think, really interesting to see. Or do we not need him, and can we find another solution? I think those are all interesting things to see uh, this Saturday's game. Yeah, and and I think the solution cannot always be predictable. I think when we have uh, struggled, 
what we've often gone back to is that two-man game with Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkins. And yes, it works. Those guys can score buckets when we need them to. But when we're struggling, everybody knows who's going to get the ball. And defenses have been kind of taking that away a little bit more. And so we need to get more creative. Is it Jalen Clark who steps up? Again, he he stepped up pretty big last game. I mean, he made some important buckets down the stretch and when, when shots weren't falling for other guys. I, he, I think... If you go back and look at the shot, the stats, he, he scored double digits. He shot 50% from the field when he needed to. He hit a couple of threes down the stretch that really put the game away. Can he continue some of that offensive um, shooting for us um, and carry some of the load there? The other guy that we we need to step up, hopefully, is, is Bailey, if he can play. I mean, he's a guy who can, again, create a shot, and he can create those mismatches for us. Uh, if other guys aren't able to shoot, shoot the ball. Um, so I, I, I just, I want to make continue to see the ball moving and see the uh, see some other guys step up and help out Jaime, help out Bona um, when, when we need it, help out Tiger. Um... I, I think just guys have been doing it and they just need to keep doing it. And it's important that we keep moving the ball to make sure we can get those guys involved because they all have the ability to score. That last name that you said right there, I think is the big key tiger Campbell. Uh, I don't know if we can, we can survive uh, two bad games from tiger this weekend. Uh, probably I, I would say we, we can't survive them. And so on the road, you need your your senior point guard leader to to, to lead the way, especially if a game is tight. Um, you know, Arizona is a especially Arizona. Uh, he's got a matchup where you know even physically, it's the only team in, the, in probably in the entire country where Tiger, even from a height weight standpoint, has an advantage on on their point guard, and definitely from a skills skills advantage. Um, we need him to eat in that game, and. Jaime Hawkes against Tobelis. I think that's the one that everyone's, you know, waiting for right there. I I think it'd be a tight, tight toss-up right now for, for player of the year in the conference. Tobelis has just gotten so many points that I think it'd be hard to not give it to him. But but Hawkes is doing it in so many ways now, and now he gets to go up against Tobelis. Um, very excited to see what he brings to the table in that matchup. Yeah, I mean, he's going to need to be crafty, and he is crafty, but uh, I don't want to see Jaime get tired down the stretch here, so I, I goes back to the bench. Can we be creative with our bench and get effective minutes out of those guys in tough road environments, both ASU and Arizona? Uh, we need, you know, I mentioned other guys, the starting five need stepping up, but we need guys from the bench to step up, and we need Mick to trust the them to step up I think you know getting McClendon in there and Andrews in there for five minutes isn't going to help I, I think we need to get other guys involved and and help spell our starters when we need to on the road I, I just it's going to bite us in the ass in these tough games if we can't get production out of our bench here yeah and with that said I think we've seen enough of Mick to know that on the road at McHale Center is probably not where he's going to open up the bench. So no. So so I think we we kind of got what we got here, and probably Jaime's and Tiger are going to be playing thirty six to thirty eight minutes. 
Um, Will McClendon, Dylan Andrews, whenever they're in there, please do not turn the ball over. I think sometimes our bench guys, they, they they misunderstand what gets them benched. It's not missing a shot. It's taking a terrible shot or turning it over. That's what gets you benched, and it gets them benched far too quickly. But please, just don't turn it over. Stay in there for as long as you can, and then you can get out, and, 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 and our, our regular guys will come in. Um, but you know that's that's the only thing I'd say to those those guys. Yeah, don't turn the ball over, and I think, these are situations and, and games where guys can get in, into foul trouble. I mean, how many times have we seen horrible officiating in the Pac-12, let alone on the road in McHale Center, for instance? It, 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 it happens a lot, right? And so if we do have guys, key guys in foul trouble, like these guys on the bench need to use those opportunities to step up. Don't turn the ball over. That's obviously step number one. Step number two is like, just lock in on defense. And we've seen McClendon do that, I will say. Every time McClendon's in the game, he's the guy. He has that road dog in him where he's he's clapping at guys and ready to just try to rip the ball away. Um, but we need to see that, and, and I see that in Andrews. And we if they can step up in, that, in those situations where we need them to, I think we can get a lot more out of them. I, I, all these guys are just scratching the surface, obviously, but... Uh, now we're in the teeth of the the season and going into the again like you mentioned the toughest probably three games that we have we need these guys to step up when we need them to um, and if they do I think we have good good chances of winning these games but we will see uh, we will see I am really, really, really hoping for a good weekend, especially at McHale, um, so that we can just see what Kira has to say about it afterwards. <laughs> uh, we will. Some of us will be there in person. I don't know if you're coming, Kevin. We're still we're still waiting on your official bow out, but I'll be there. Uh, Isaiah will be there, and a couple of our other friends are are going. Um, First time in McHale, I'm fully expecting to be um, harassed, spit at, probably have some racial epithets yelled at me. Um, but I'm 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 relishing this this game. I've been I'm pretty hyped to uh, to witness the stadium in person and hopefully witness UCLA downing them in McHale. And, and UCLA always gets up for this game. They have in the past beaten them in McHale Center when very few people have. It's not something that I think that our team necessarily is afraid of. Um, that being said, it's it's an incredibly tough place to play, and we've seen them lose at home now this season. So, again, they're a beatable team. We just need to play our game and trust in our game here. Yeah, there is a, there's a chance game day is going to be there this weekend. Uh, since that's likely the, the, the game of the weekend. It's, it's the national TV game on ABC. So just just more more reason for the intrigue. But, of course, first, the, the big one is is uh, this Thursday against ASU, um, again, where we did lose last year. So big, big two games this week. And if we get out of, out of them okay, I think the sky is the limit. Uh, at that point, dream as big as you want. It's, it is... 
in many ways, the schedule kind of nicely lines up from uh, a motivational perspective in a way. I would have said ASU could be a very difficult trap game for us, especially with that Arizona game kind of backed up to it. And if Air, if ASU was kind of struggling, I, I could see that being a team, being a game that our guys kind of overlook. But because now they are in second place in the Pac-12, um, it, I, I feel like it uh, provides a, not, a less of a reason for our guys to overlook this game. It gives them a little bit more motivation to kind of keep another team at arm's reach here. So that I'm a little actually kind of happy that it lined up that way. Yeah, there are games like this weekend where, you know, you can understand that an 18 to 22 year old is probably not very excited to get up and go play Colorado on a Saturday, um, you know, in the middle of the season. But this week, I don't think that that definitely should not be the case this week. Uh, it's two big games. We've seen our team get up when it's the the, the big games, um, just in terms of motivation. So I think the motivation is going to be there. Now it's going to come down to execution. Um, can we defend like we've been defending? Can we force turnovers? Can we take care of the ball? And can we draw even or beat people on the glass? Um, if we do all those things, then then I think we're going to win these games. Um, you know, if we struggle in any, any of those areas, then it comes down to, you know, can we make shots and such, and that's when it gets dicey. That is when it gets dicey, and hopefully it will not be dicey this weekend, but um, that is what the games are played for. Um you know, before we before we sign off, uh, there's been some developments on the football side that I know we've talked about a little bit of, but I think they're coming to fruition a little bit. Uh, we we talked last week about our disaster transfer recruiting weekend, where we had a bunch of very key guys on campus, and basically all of them decided to go to Southern Cal. <laughs> At the end of the day. One guy, though, we did manage to pull, um, J. Michael Sturdivant, the wide receiver uh, recruit out of Cal or transfer out of Cal, who had a hell of a freshman season. I mean, he's probably one of the best receivers in the conference. Um, and he provides kind of our next QB, whether that's Dante Moore. I think it's going to be Dante Moore long-term, but whether Colin Sklee kind of steps in or... Garbers or somebody else is able to wrangle that job away from from uh, more next year well, remains to be seen. But he provides a, a game breaking type of talent to our receiver room that it feels like we haven't seen since maybe I don't know Jordan Lasley who, who was uh, had that kind of talent. It's a big get. It's a huge get, and now uh, it looks like most of the pieces are there for our offense next year to remain at a very top level. Now, now can we be a top five offense like we were this year? I, I don't think – I I would be skeptical and, and great if we do reach that. But I think we have enough there to where with that, along with Chip Kelly, we probably can be a top 20 offense, um, you know, somewhere in the roundabouts uh, between the 20 and 30 range, uh, if I if I had to make a guess. Um, definitely big gets at the skill positions. You know, J. Michael Stewart event, uh, Carson Steele, uh, we got some tight ends, and then obviously, you know, the quarterback as well. So all the skill positions, I think we loaded up real nicely. Um, and the other the other big big get was we got a, a junior college transfer, Caleb Walker, on the offensive line. Um, you know, 
that I think is also good and still to be seen if he's going to come in and start right away. Um, I'm sure we'll have to go go for more offensive linemen, but that's probably the other area to, to look at there. The big thing is always with UCLA football, especially over the last couple of years, um, is the defense and, you know, the movement on defense. Uh, you know, some reports out there that, you know, UCLA is going through some kind of process. Uh, it, we don't we don't know who the process is with or, or, or what the who the arbitrators are, but there's some kind of process out there that will determine if Bill McGovern is or is not going to be the defensive coordinator, likely uh, based on whatever his, you know, health conditions are and his, his health status. And supposedly, you know, again, the schools and, and the, the staff, everyone's doing what they can do to get the situation resolved as soon as possible. But, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because obviously, you know, we need some, some big talent upgrade on defense. We need a whole schematic change on defense. We need, we need everything to change on defense, and none of it can really happen until this is resolved and we have who our final coaches are for, for next year. So that's unfortunate. Yeah, look, I, it's frustrating as a fan, and I'm sure it's frustrating for the rest of the staff and, and for the program to not be able to move as quickly as we want to here. Um, obviously, it has recruiting impacts. Not knowing who the D.C. is going to be has impacts on the staff, not knowing if you know certain staff members are going to be retained or not, if um, McGovern isn't there anymore. But I understand why this is taking slow. Uh, it's obviously it's a health related issue. You know, there's all sorts of implications of this. I'm sure there are legal implications of this. You know, looking at can you even legally fire a guy or get rid of the guy um, because of a health issue? I mean, that feels pretty blatantly wrong. Um, to, to do something like that so and and you know for for to, I would hope the school also does right by McGovern like by no means as bad of as our defense was like you know I, it's he seems like a decent enough guy I think you know we would hope that he is everything is taken care of appropriately with him and obviously we hope his health is is better um but it sounds like there's something being done, something being investigated, and in how this can be, the situation can move forward. Um, I know there's been talk around, you know, per, perhaps retaining McGovern in a different capacity and not actually coordinating the defense. Uh, I don't, again, I don't know what the solution here is. I don't, we don't know the details. Nobody knows the, the full extent of what is going on here, but we know something's happening and we just, don't know when it's going to be resolved and we hope that it is resolved quickly for I think everyone's benefit at the end of the day I think giving McGovern clarity on where he stands quickly is is good for him giving the rest of the staff clarity on where it stands is good for them and it's good for the program and the school in general it's good for recruiting um, so we'll see I think we're kind of in a in a holding pattern here until something actually happens yeah, it's one of those things where the individual situation, you totally get why it's taking time. And the individual thing, I mean, it has to be done right. It has to be done sensibly. It has to be done respectfully. The broader thing with the program, um, that's more. That's a bit more frustrating because, uh, you know, did we have to wait until this moment when we have this situation on our hands to, 
realize we needed wholesale changes on defense. I think that's a bit more frustrating in, uh, overall on 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 our coach and, and our football program. Um, but like you said, this this individual thing absolutely needs to be handled, probably in the way it's being handled. Yeah, and it, and it and in many ways it makes me question Chip Kelly's decision making. Like, if Bill McGovern did not have this health issue, would he actually even be considering moving on from him? And and based on what I've seen from him in the past and based on what I feel like this situation is lending itself towards, I would lean that he wouldn't even consider firing him if he wasn't, you know, able to... If he was... If Bill McGovern was able to perform his full duties to his, you know, full capacity as DC, if there wasn't a health issue, like I, I, I think Chip Kelly keeps him with no questions asked, which begs the question is like, if, if it took an unfortunate health issue for you to have to consider moving on from a DC granted, even, you know, after one year, but clearly a DC not doing enough to improve the, uh, the defense to a level that we need it to be, then, um, then it's a worrying decision from a head coaching perspective. We'll see. I mean, there's not really much else to do, but uh, but to sit back and, and see how it all turns out, and hopefully uh, it's uh, it's it's done right, and then uh, we can see what happens with defense, and we can get the the talent on that we need because uh, we do need some upgrading there. Yeah, absolutely, and and keep in mind, I think there's a there's a time frame here we need to absolutely get this in place by and that's that second transfer window where where we'll probably see some other guys jump into the portal and if we don't have this squared away by then then there's uh, a larger question to be asked around what is going on with our athletic department as a whole like how do we let this linger for that long um that that is in may so we'll see uh, <laughs> if, uh, if we can get this done in a timely manner, and hopefully we can. Um, but yeah, I think with that, anything, any final, final words, Kevin, anything else? No, uh, no, I think let's, let's have a good weekend and, uh, have it, let, let, let's have a good weekend and hopefully we're, we're here, uh, Talking good things next week. Going into another rivalry week. Um, hopefully, we're in, a, in good spirits for that. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's all we can say. Yeah, <laughs> last last couple of these uh, big weekends haven't gone so well. So uh, hey, maybe we're due for one. We'll see. Hopefully, we are. Um, cool. With that, I think we will go ahead and sign off. Um, please always uh, follow us on on Twitter. Share our stuff if you enjoy it, and um, always go Bruins. Go Bruins.